Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience podcast featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Cheyenne Dunham, and I want to welcome you to the March 20th episode of the Bull Bear Banter. Tom Guinan is with me to recap the corn and soybean futures. Tom? Sure, Cheyenne. May corn futures finished the day down one and three quarters at three forty-three and three quarters, and that is down twenty-two for the week. December corn closed unchanged today at three sixty-three and a quarter, down nine and three quarters from last Friday's close. May soybeans gained nineteen and a quarter today, ending at eight sixty-two and a half, and that is actually up thirteen and three quarters for the week. November beans added twelve and a quarter today to finish the week at eight sixty and three quarters. That's down three and three quarters from last Friday's close. Well, the big story this week remains to be COVID-19. It's front and center in almost every news story. However, with regard to commodities, this week was also about the ongoing price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia, with crude oil falling hard. At the end of last week, West Texas crude oil futures ended just below $32 a barrel. This week, it fell to almost $20 a barrel before a late week bounce. Gasoline futures were also hit hard, with the nearby April contract dropping from about 87.5 cents a gallon to as low as almost 62 cents. Ethanol futures were pushed considerably lower, with the April contract down from almost $1.20 per gallon last Friday to almost 94 cents. I realize that was a lot of numbers and prices that most of us don't deal with on a daily basis, so let me put it into perspective. If ethanol futures are trading around $1 per gallon and gasoline is trading around $0.70 per gallon, there really isn't an incentive for the ethanol blender to blend much ethanol. All of this, plus the reduced demand for gasoline and ethanol due to COVID-19, really affected corn basis this week, with ethanol plants significantly reducing their bids. We've also heard of some plants not posting a bid and others closing down for the time being. With that, let's move on to the bull bear factors. Well, Cheyenne, for corn on the bull factors, like you said, there's not a lot of bullish inputs to talk about this week. But the weekly export inspections report did show a new marketing year high at 38.5 million bushels being loaded last week. That's up almost 6 million bushels from the previous week. Last week's ethanol production was only down 3 million gallons to 304 million. However, given what you just discussed, I don't think either of us would expect that to stay in that range for long. I think the USDA projections for corn usage and ethanol production will also have to be adjusted lower at some point. Other than that, I don't have a whole lot more to add. On the bear side, ethanol stocks climbed again last week, up from 1.022 billion gallons to 1.033 billion. Between now and the end of the marketing year, August 31st, every 5% decrease in gasoline demand would imply about 110 to 120 million bushel reduction in corn demand for ethanol. Rough numbers, but something to keep in mind. Corn basis has fallen hard this week, especially in the nearby March and April slots. Well, on the soybean side, the bull factors, uh, we do have a few more there. Nopa Crush was strong again in February, up 7.7% from last February. Trade estimates range from 163 million to 166.6 million, and it came in at 166.3, so just under that top estimate. Even though February is a short month, this would imply a new daily record. Part of this is due to Argentina raising export taxes earlier in the month of February. 
The last couple of days, we've also heard of even more demand for soybean meal in the U.S. since feeders aren't able to secure as much DDGs as they'd like due to the slowdown in ethanol production. There's also talk of China restoring its hog herd, which could lead to even more demand for soybean meal. Along with that, a couple of plants in Argentina have closed down for the time being due to concerns about COVID-19. On the bare side for soybeans, export inspections were a marketing near low at 16 million bushels last week, down from more than 20 million the previous week. We're still 10% ahead of this time last year, but we need to maintain shipments of around 26 million to hit the USDA's projections for the year. There are starting to be more and more doubts about the Chinese hitting their phase one targets for this crop year. We'll see if that's the case, as others might argue that now would be a good time for them to make some purchases. Another bearish factor to consider is the decline in demand for biodiesel due to everything we mentioned earlier about gasoline demand declining. In our What to Watch for in upcoming events, at the end of our segment, we have an interview with one of our regional sales managers, Clint Klingbeil. Clint will be talking about tissue sampling and how that can benefit yields, so stay tuned for that. USDA's prospective plantings report will be out on March 31st. Given everything else that is going on in the world, this will take on even more importance. This week, we begin asking our customers and suppliers to further limit their interactions with our locations and use phone calls and emails whenever possible. Given everything we're hearing about social distancing and shelter in place, it seems wise to do everything we can to limit contact with each other. So please take a moment to think about calling before just coming into a location. We'll also mail all checks and contracts for the time being. If you have some paperwork to sign and return, please do that as soon as practical by mail. So why does this all matter? Right now, it may be tempting to ignore the markets and just hope that things have found a bottom. To quote John Maynard Keyes, markets have a way of staying irrational longer than you can remain solvent. Just because it feels like we're at the bottom, it doesn't mean we are. Please stay involved, make some prudent decisions, and at some point we will begin to rally. The only question is from where? I think that's all we have today. We appreciate you joining us for the bull bear banter. If you'd like to contact us, you can send a tweet to at Landis Co-op or drop an email to podcast at LandisCooperative.com. Our tagline is bears make money, bulls make money, and pigs just go to market. If you have any questions regarding grain marketing decisions, please reach out to your area grain marketing advisor. Stay tuned for that bonus segment after this. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again next week. Well, as promised, I'm here with Kent Klingbeil, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about tissue sampling. But first of all, welcome back to the podcast, Kent. I appreciate it, Tom. Good to have you here. So, yeah, we want to spend a little time talking about tissue sampling, and why don't you just give us the high-level overview of what it is and why somebody would consider that. Sure. If you've never done tissue sampling, tissue sampling is something where we do it in season when the crop's growing. We actually go out and we take a composite sample of a bunch of plants. So we'll pull leaves off corn or soybean plants. We stuff those in a bag and we send them off to the soil lab. The lab processes, dries them down, and we get back a similar situation to kind of like you think about a soil test. So we'll get back all the different nutrient levels in the plant where we can look at maybe your short different types of nutrients. So your short K or your short boron. And so then we can talk about those things and kind of understand how that's affecting plant growth and, and everything else that goes along with it. So it is something you're doing in season. Yep. What, when is the first time you would consider that? Sure. So in corn, we typically try to shoot right around that V5 stage. So that corn, you know, so you think about six to 12 inches tall. The reason we do it then, that's ear formation. So you're really forming a lot of the ear. And at that point, you really want to know what nutrients are available to that plant. So if you're short, 
potassium at ear formation, you know, it's going to cause issues. And so we want to kind of know where we're at that certain point. We also do another one um, right before tassel. And then on soybeans, we kind of do one mid-vegetative and then one pretty close to that R1, R2 when you're doing pod formation, when that soybean needs a lot of nutrients. And so we're kind of checking to just make sure, you know, checking our gas gauge, make sure where we're at. Okay, that sounds great. So just in general, who should consider this? We do this a lot. So when tissue sampling originally came out, you know, 10 years ago when we started talking about it, a lot of people thought it was for addressing nutrient deficiencies. So my crop looks really bad. Well, let's tissue sample and see what's wrong with it. Well, we could always probably know it's either going to be sulfur or nitrogen That's or zinc. You know, it's the top three things. It's always going to be why your corn probably doesn't look very good. In today's day and age, it's all about the high yield stuff. And so if you're thinking about pushing yields, growing more corn, growing more soybeans, you really need to understand what nutrients are getting into your plant all year round. We can't just rely on the soil test. We need to know what's going on all the time. So it's really the big high yield guys. Guys are pushing yields, trying to push that envelope, get to that next stage, and and really just want to know more about their crop and what's going on with it. Okay. So then talk a little bit about the value or the return on that investment. How do you guys assess that? What do you speak about with the farmers when you talk through that? So, I mean, return on investment on tissue sampling. Tissue sampling, the cost of it's pretty nominal, you know, for the information you're going to get you know, a few hundred dollars and you're going to spend on a farm and that's going to give you the insight and knowledge to understand, you know, what kind of application should I be doing? Should I do them? Is this working? Is this not? And so it's really a verification process and really kind of helping guide you to where you need to go next. So, I mean, the return on investment is huge on it. I mean, it's it's an easy one to pencil out. Yeah. So if you put it on that right mineral or chemical or whatever yeah. you need to put on at the right time, it's going to boost your yield theoretically. Yeah. And that's what the whole payback is. You bet. So you talked earlier when we were just chatting offline, um, some of those guys that really push those yields and try to get in these yield contests, how do they approach something like this? A lot of them, they'll actually tissue sample every week, all season, both crops. So they'll do it in corn and soybeans. So their goal is, you know, and I've heard this from a lot of people, um, agronomists in the industry, that you never want to plant to have a bad day. And so they'll they'll tissue sample. If they see an issue, they'll spray because you can correct it instantly with a spray application and so they're pushing all the time but they can't ever have a day where a corn plant went short on boron or their soybean plant went short on you know a certain type of nutrient and so that's the big thing the other thing that we do i just want to quickly mention is that we actually tissue sample and we pull a soil test and so a lot of people don't pull a soil test at the same time because what we really want to understand is are all those nutrients getting into your plant so you applied a lot of P and a K and maybe some boron and some other stuff, but does that actually get into your plant? There's something in between there that's stopping that path. Oh, you know, did, okay. it, did you plant in the muds? Do you have hatchet roots? And so maybe your corn plant isn't getting all those nutrients applied. Maybe we need to put something on with your spray application to help fire that corn plant up. It'll eventually get there when everything kind of dries out and the roots get established, but maybe that's something we need to look at. So that's a great thought. Yeah. Um, so how does a farmer learn more about this? If you want to learn more about tissue sampling, reach out to your Landis Field Sales Agronomist. They're all highly educated in it. We have a great program we're running this year. So we actually have a kind of standard protocol that we'll pull two tissue samples per field. We'll pull two soil tests. You know, and we kind of have an executed program. So reach out to your Landis Field Sales Agronomist. They can put you in touch with our sampling team. We can get that information back to you. Um, a lot of times we're in the field, we'll actually look at your planter, do plant stand counts and those types of things too, and be out in your field. So it's a great way to learn more about agriculture, agronomy, work with the field sales agronomist, but a lot of neat opportunities there. That sounds good. Anything else you'd like to share with the audience as we kind of wrap up here? No, I would just say uh, appreciate everybody's interest in these types of programs. I think in our mind in Atlantis Cooperative, we really want to help 
farmers drive into the future. You know, and, and bringing out programs like this to help push yields, push that envelope is really kind of what everything's all about. So appreciate it. Sounds good. I appreciate you joining us, Kent. Yep. Okay.